Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. Before we move on to our discussion of more local politics, uh, I didn't get a chance last week. Um, oh, okay, Paul, uh, hang on. Um, you know what? <laughs> we we have Jonathan Jackson on the line, so you know you're just going to have to wait to hear what I have to say about Joe Biden's budget uh, because this is more important. Uh, Congressman, thanks for being with us today. Thank you for having me, Joan. I always appreciate you. So how do you like, first of all, let's talk about you. How do you like this new job of yours, being a, a congressperson? I love it. It's um enormous um, privilege to stand in and have the vote to speak on behalf of the people of our region and to hear the issues and to uh, be a part on the inside to make a difference, see the resources. I'm empowered with a job to bring resources back to Illinois and to our region in the first district and beyond. So I'm very excited and very grateful. Well, it's a relief to hear you say that. Um, heaven forbid you should come on the radio with me and say, you know what? I had no idea what I was getting into. It's a terrible job. I, I, I hate every second of it. Uh, <laughs> so in Congress, what are you with this upcoming uh, legislative session? What are you most eager to work on if indeed the Democrats are going to be allowed to work on anything? You know, that is a that is a challenge, but I'm sure we're going to work our way around it. I'm on two committees that I'm very happy with, Foreign Affairs and Agriculture, um, and both of them, to me, are interrelated. It's the same coin, just different sides. The issues in Ukraine have to deal with also, they're one of the weak baskets for the world, and also for phosphate and Belarus that puts in uh, the topsoil for a lot of countries that don't have sustainable farmland anymore in the United States. Where we've been enormously blessed to have agriculture capacity with the rising climate change and other things. You're going to see more countries that are going to be challenged for their sustainability, meaning they're going to you have some, some countries to topple because their land is no longer uh, supportive of having a culture and a civilization on it. It's become uh, inclement and inhospitable for humans. The other side is agriculture means so much to our country and our city and state uh, specifically. It's a fully funded farm bill year. So I'm very much concerned about what's happening to rural farmers farm life, farm land, all the way up to the urban consumers. It's one continuous supply chain, one pipe, totally interconnected. I hate to see that family farmers are uh, getting taken off of their land and aren't in a very competitive position. So I'm learning fast, and I want to make sure that they have a competitive edge, and it's a way of life that we predict and preserve, and hopefully to see grow. It's shrinking too fast. I think it was the Wall Street, no, not the Wall Street, Washington Post, um, some months ago with this new, newly reconstituted Congress and all the divisiveness. There was an article that said the, the, perhaps the brightest spot in this new Congress and the one committee that might actually be able to move forward in a bipartisan way was the Committee on Agriculture. They really were shining a spotlight on you. And and just this thing that whether you to fight to save family farms 
isn't a Republican or a Democrat issue. It's a people issue. Do you really think that you and the Republicans on this committee will be able to see eye to eye on important legislation? I really do. Um, Unlike some of the other committees that are going into witch hunts and other things, Department of the Agriculture Committee um, really has some solid people on both sides. And these are people in rural areas that are being hard hit with food insecurity. We have to keep that in mind. This isn't uh, an urban issue. Uh, The rural community needs these farm subsidies, not just on the land, but also on the food and nutritional programs. And the good news is the country is wealthy enough and strong enough that we can support it. Now we have to prioritize it. So I do see many good people. And they're coming in from California and Kansas and Ohio and Michigan and Texas, all the way through the deep south and upstate New York. It's very bipartisan. And I'm very pleased with its leadership. As part of the Foreign Affairs Committee, do you foresee a time when you might be making a trip to Ukraine? Um, not at the present time. I think that um, I don't think there's a real focus on that by the congressional delegations, uh, simply because it's a war-torn area. They need all of their resources, I would believe, to stay on the front line, take care of the women and children, nurse their veterans and their soldiers that are sick. I feel very uncomfortable, not for safety reasons, but for area of priorities of people trying to move us around to sightsee. I would personally not be interested in that for that reason. I've gone to war-torn areas. I've gone into Mozambique and into Angola. I've gone into Haiti after earthquakes. I've gone into Iraq before there was a war with Saddam Hussein, with my father, Reverend Jackson, to meet the president. So I know what war scenes look like, but I wouldn't want to uh, pull any of our resources away from their front line veterans, soldiers, women and children um, to be hosted to go around the country. Would the Foreign Affairs Committee be involved at all in our efforts to help Turkey and Syria recover from those devastating earthquakes that now have left a death toll of over 40,000? Absolutely. When we look at the migratory patterns, um, let me digress just one moment, and this is something that I find absolutely impressive, and I have to take my um, hat off and stand up and thank God for the um, Polish community, that uh, when the Ukrainians were invaded and pushed out, where did the three million people go immediately? Quite a few went into Poland, and Poland was not set up for this large amount of uh, massive migration, and those three million people went into people's houses. They went into their schools. They went into their hospitals. So it's one of the greatest stories that's not been told of that humanitarian open arm rescue. So when I see issues that we're talking about in the United States, Chicago or New York or on the border with 100 people, 1,000 people or 1,500 people and saying that we're overrun, my God. I mean, look at what Poland did with 3 million people that came there with just a shirt on their back. So... To your point on what's happening in the Ukraine and now on to Turkey and Syria, right, the people have fled into all regions. There's been a long-standing war going on in um, Syria right now, and Syria, before it became a hot body, was taking in 
refugees from Iraq. They were taking in people from Palestine. They were taking people in from Lebanon. And now they've had to move again. And we're on the Turkish border. And they face some discrimination and hostilities. And they're getting run out. So it's a complex issue, but we have to face it because there's no borders around the world. People have to continue to migrate to where they seek safety and opportunity. Mm -hmm. You know, um, there are certainly some Republican colleagues in Congress who um, very publicly have said some things like, you know, uh, we should stop supporting Ukraine or we're sending too much uh, money to Ukraine. There has been some pressure that he so far seems to have successfully resisted for Kevin McCarthy to actually make a trip there. You said a few moments ago that you have visited war-torn areas. How does your thinking change when you see the death and destruction up close and personal? Oh, uh, I can feel it. I can smell it. I was at Haiti in 2009 after the earthquake. Earthquake, of course, is not war. But to see bodies that have been laid out for so long, they're decomposing. They've had to burn them in the street. It's a stench of smell you don't get out of your mind. I was in Lebanon after they were bombed. Um, I think it was around 2013. And you can go there a week or two afterwards and smell that stench of people that are still trapped in buildings. They can't get out. I've seen this um, before. And to be on the Foreign Affairs Committee, one of our first hearings was uh, talking about what happened in Afghanistan for the soldiers that were left behind. And I actually teared up and cried after the testimony of one or two individuals, uh, specifically one was, I think, Sergeant Vargas. But to see a 25-year-old soldier, now a veteran with a double amputee from his arm to his leg, and uh, see the excruciating pain in his face from the comrades and friends that that had died, and uh, to see this young man carrying this amount of pain and torment behind, uh, it only reinvigorates you. And for that, I think my father having uh, been on the front side of being a peacemaker, and uh, I want to take that same energy and spirit. We have to do all things to avoid war, and we have to uh, step up and pay the full cost of bringing our soldiers home and paying for their long-term service as veterans. But these are 25-year-old young people. And it was several young men, it was two in specific, that uh, cried and teared up during their testimony and had to um, catch hold of themselves just reliving every day and night. I've seen this when I was a teacher at Chicago State and could see some of my students there were young people, the veterans kind of stand out in the classroom. They're more mature, more are focused. And then to learn that one tried to commit suicide during test time uh, oh. broke my heart. So I want to be on the front end of stopping and trying to avoid these wars. Uh, this is a pain that their families suffer with that um, I want to be, I want to make a difference. I'm speaking with uh, First Congressional District Congressman Jonathan Jackson. We are going to take a break and be back with more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And I am joined by Congressman Jonathan Jackson. Uh, he has uh, been enjoying his time in Congress so far. 
He's on a couple of pretty important committees, foreign affairs and agriculture. You know, um, I've read a lot about how the Republicans, now that they're in power, they're creating all of these, um, well, like the weaponization of the government investigation committee and, and stuff like that. And I've also been reading that uh, Democrats are kind of being sidelined. Is that an overstatement? Do you feel that Democrats are going to be able to work with this current constitution of Republicans in Congress and get anything done? Because some have predicted that uh, it's going to be really difficult to pass legislation in this Congress. Well, it's not just the Democrats. The Republicans' leadership and the makeup of their caucus they're having trouble within their own ranks making leader making decisions. They're having trouble uh, presenting to you and the American people a budget, something to counter what President Biden has put forth. So we're eagerly awaiting their plan, not just cut and slash and burn and and what we can't do, but what's the vision, what leads um, that party forward. So I wouldn't put it necessarily. Um, on the Democrats at this time. I really don't like going into the partisanship of it, but unfortunately we have to sometimes. But what is the plan that they've proposed? Just what is it? And so to say that we're going to have across-the-board cuts and would show that 85% of the spending that uh, Americans have benefited from goes away. Well, that doesn't work. So it sounds cute to say we're conservative and we believe in deficit reduction and all that good stuff. I believe in the same thing. Now it gets difficult when you ask how do you do it and what stays, what goes away. And as we rein these uh, spending, uh, the spending in, like how do we do it in a manner that's humane? Like, I don't want to take food off the table for women and children, people that are dependent. Like, people need their assistance, and we still have to grow the economy. We still have to invest. Like, so we're waiting on more, on more answers from them, frankly. Well, one person that I was talking to said what, what they think President Biden should do is uh, look at the Republicans and say, okay, you don't like my budget? Let's see yours. And not just what, not just platitudes, but exactly what you want, exactly where the money is going to come from, completely transparent, and then we'll talk. Um, that would be a good thing, I think. Joan, you know this very well. You're 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 very knowledgeable and, and sage at this. Absolutely. So, where is the plan that we can all discuss? Where we've now got the technology, phone, TV, iPads, extraterrestrial more time on radio, like, open it up so we can talk. I mean, think of FDR and the fireside chat where he said where the, where the nation was going, where he talked about the New Deal. What's their New Deal? Like, how do we get to the future? We haven't seen it yet, so we're eagerly awaiting that input. Well, we know your focus is on uh, the big issues and what's going on in Congress, but... My guess is that you're also kind of keeping an eye on Chicago politics as well. Um, have you been involved in any of the campaigns? Yes, I have. I came out and endorsed uh, Commissioner Brandon Johnson uh, around January 16th. So I've uh, supported him and have campaigned with Commissioner Johnson. 
And what was your reasoning behind that endorsement? What do you like about Brandon Johnson? Well, then he's been a teacher. <clears throat> he's been in the classroom. Very important. You've got to see the poverty <clears throat> up front. Also, I've been with him and we fought against the 50 schools that were being closed. I also believe that we have to now make a critical investment in our children and our city for its future. So I've appreciated his leadership on his advocacy for the children uh, of our city. Are you going to be campaigning for him? Are you going to be like going door to door or making some phone calls or even better, raising some money? (laughs) Think about that, right? So yesterday we were at four churches together. Yes, I've been boots on the ground. I will uh, assist him on the fundraising efforts. And you know, there's a congressional fundraising hurdle. Now you have to raise for my campaign. I got to raise some for the party. So I've got some national obligations, but I certainly will be supporting in that regard. And um, I must say, I don't attack anyone in these campaigns. I am trying to put out a positive message Brandon has been a teacher. He's been in the classroom. He's seen it up front. Uh, I think he has the know-how, the knowledge, the compassion to lead us forward. I've worked with Paul a lot over the past. I don't have any personal animosity towards Mr. Vallis. So between the two, I've simply made a decision to support Mr. Johnson. I um, co-moderated a mayoral forum Thursday with Cheryl Corley from NPR. And uh, at one point, the you know, because, you know, I've been reading ever since February 28th, you know, ooh, it's, you know, it's going to be ugly, it's going to be dirty, it's going to be vicious. And I don't think that has happened, at least not yet. Maybe as we get closer to April 4th, it will. But this debate that Cheryl and I were co-moderating, at one point they're looking at each laughing with each other, they're shaking hands. Um, how do you have campaigned? How do you keep the clear competition from devolving into especially personal attacks? You've lived through it. Well, what are the guidelines? Well, you have to know that the election will be over sooner than later and that uh, you're going to still live in the city. And we're fortunate to have great leadership. And um, you want to hold your head up and um, also be able to build bridges. And the way you campaign is the way you have to govern. So if you come in with a scorch the earth, tearing someone down, then it's harder to rebuild In the aftermath, and I do think that people are attracted to positivity and the future on what's in it for them. How do you make things better for them? I think that has to be the constant focus. It's not on the candidate. It's on the plan. How do you make people's lives better? That I'll go away, other candidates will go away, other elected officials will go away, but did you stand for the people? Did you stand for the greater good? So that's how I keep focused on it. And also note that at the end of the day, I was with uh, Brandon Johnson at the um, Irish Day Parade, and we walked them together, me, him, and Chairwoman uh, President Preckwinkle. And when I saw Mr. Vallis, I went over there, greeted him, shook his hand, talked to Paul for a while, and uh, we took a picture together. So I consider Paul to be a very decent and um, nice man, and so I'm not going to attack him in any way. What are your plans going forward? 
Um, well, uh, I'm glad you asked. The focus is we have got to address this crime issue in the city of Chicago. There's some short-term solutions and there's some long-term plans. But um, all the way from today, my heart is broken to hear about the CEO of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, his wife being carjacked. I'm glad. That yeah, Terry Duffy. Um, Terry Duffy's wife was uh, carjacked in downtown Chicago. He was not a happy camper about that, nor should he be. He shouldn't. And for the other people who've gotten carjacked and have had terrible consequences, my heart goes out to them as well. We've got to put an end to this. Where is this coming from? And one of the parts that's personal for me is when we close these 50 elementary schools, the largest elementary school closing in American history and started privatizing, chartering, and trying to voucher these elementary schools, we've seen these students had a lack of investment. So when you look at the amount of buildings that are now uh, beautiful campuses from the past, now they've become fossilized, and the young children aren't on a track to play tennis this summer, play basketball, have track. I'd like to see some funds, more funds go to coaches. Uh, We've got the potential to get uh, tennis players and golf players and other sports out of this city. Look at the amount of schools that have lost their football programs. So, yes, we need to immediately address crime. We have to have more police on the streets. We've got to have more detectives to solve this crime, and we've got to put more money uh, into these young people that are going around creating these, uh, committing these heinous crimes. And I don't want to make this a war on children. We've been there before. Children are the same. But what has happened, the circumstances in which they live have changed. These schools are under-resourced. So I want to see these schools opened up later in the day so we can put more services back in there and address their needs and their behavioral change. I've traveled the world, and people are the same all over the world. They need the same level of opportunity and safety and security. Something has happened here where these children feel very unsafe and they're very insecure, and this is a consequence um, of that lack of investment. Yeah. Um, my uh, daughter-in-law is a student teaching at a high school in Bronzeville. And, you know, I was talking to her about the students and and what she can do to, like, help ensure them to be successful. And she said one of the problems is uh, the students who come into the high school, she thinks more resources need to be applied, what you just said, at the elementary school level. Because she said we have so many students who come into high school and they're, you know, they're barely reading at a fourth grade level. And here they're supposed to be handling, you know, high school topics and high school reading. And she said, you know, before you can even, you know, before you can help them succeed, it's like you have to make up for, for the fact that they are so far behind. Uh, it really, it, it really is a situation that needs time, attention. I don't know if, if money is the solution or we know we have a tendency whenever we have a problem in society, well, you know, we'll allocate more funds. But it seems to me, and I think both of our candidates for mayor realize this, there has to be more than just money. There has to be a real commitment to helping these kids. And if, and if, and if they can feel successful at school, they'll be more likely to stay in school if it becomes a positive place for them. Exactly. And you know, Joan, between the school teacher and the police, it's the same coin, different sides. 
we have to make sure that the children see a pathway to become officers so that they want to be involved in law enforcement. They can protect their own community. Community policing works. You know, you protect your own neighborhoods. Everybody understands that. The teachers, they've come to teach, not to police inside the school building. The policemen cannot be uh, psychologists, psychiatrists, marriage counselors, and all these other things. There's too much put on the police. Mm-hmm. You can call them for everything. That's, a, that's an emergency. And they have a right to feel safe and want to get home to their family and children. Absolutely, 1,000%. And for that bad, half a percent that's in there, even as we see today, more people are coming out of jail from the legacy of Commander John Burge. There has to be leadership within the within the ranks to go after and kick out those bad officers. I mean, they pollute the entire workforce. I mean, we've got all which had men still lingering in jail because of the legacy of Commander John Burge, which destroyed so much of the fabric. That's why I was such an outspoken critic and asking for justice on behalf of those persons that are in jail. That started destroying the very fabric of the nation while other people got promoted, elected, and rose up on the backs of a man that was committing torture on a community. Now we have to repair it. We have to fix it. There's two thoughts in schools. One is we prepare our children for school. But when you see this level of poverty and the challenges that are, that are going on now, we have to prepare our school for the children. These children are going to need more assistance in the building to deal with their behavior for food and insecurity and socialization after COVID. So I'm excited. Um, Chicago is indeed at a, at a crossroad, and I'm very optimistic. I have confidence. Uh, actually, in uh, Brandon, you know, I can support Paul. I can work with either. So I'm not going to make this into a showdown and other people are thinking, oh, this is the end of the world. No, it's not. The end of the world. I don't buy into that. So I'm not going down that path, but I do have a preference. I'm going to stand by that. And to the victor, I will support wholeheartedly. Well, thank you for being with us. And uh, if there's anything that's going on in Congress that you would like our listeners to know about, please, please, please just give us a shout because um, I will share my microphone with you anytime. You're the best. I'm going to start doing this much more frequently. Joan, I always enjoyed talking with you and thank you for your listeners and thank you for being the advocate you are. You're a true uh, great American citizen. Matter of fact, I need to do something to you for Women's History Month. Um, you got something coming in the mail, young lady. Oh, I do. Well, aren't you aren't you sweet? I, I I'm very excited now. I will be watching my mail very closely. Um, thank you. Well, you deserve it, and I'm and, and I'm saying that because you do more. You do the research, and um, you actually put the time in, and you don't play the gotcha, which I absolutely appreciated. And you're hard hitting. You're fair, and thank you. We have no prior conversation. These are live, unfiltered, and we'll keep it that way. And I appreciate you, Joan. You're very kind. You're very kind to say those things. It's certainly not necessary, but um, I really appreciate uh, I really appreciate that. Thank you so very much uh, for saying those wonderful things. I'm feeling all warm and fuzzy now. So, <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for the interview. Um, before I embarrass myself further, we better take a break for news, and we'll come back with more politics right after this.